When you look at someone through rose-colored glasses, all the red flags just look like flags. Are dating red flags romantic? Of course not, but film and TV tend to romanticize totally terrible behavior, to the point that as viewers we might find ourselves longing for an intense, crazy, unstable relationship like the ones we see on screen. Just get in the car, Al. We might expect these portrayals to be more a thing of the past in today's more PC world, but a surprising number of the most popular contemporary shows and movies still end up featuring toxic romances in a fairly glamorous, appealing light. So why is that? For one thing, it's because they're entertaining. Red flags succeed in drawing viewers into these dramatic romances. They create conflict and interesting obstacles to structure the plot around, as the characters have to outgrow their various internal issues to find love. All of which makes sense in fiction, but off screen? We should be talking. Like normal people? Yeah. Is that so wrong? Here's our take on some red flags that persistently get romanticized in modern media, but should probably send you running for the hills, IRL. Did you follow me? I feel very protective of you. So you followed me. Before we go on, we want to talk about our new episode of The Takeaway on Prime Video YouTube channel. We're explaining The Wild Season 2. Season 2 really raised the stakes. We finally get to see the boys. Season 1 is all about this group of girls who are stranded on this island. It turns out to be this crazy social experiment. We find out that there's a group of guys going through the same thing. In Season 2, the guys were not what I expected them to be. You think you're meeting some type, and then you realize, no, it's not that type. You don't quite know who's going to be a villain and who's going to be a hero. It's definitely a story of survival. It wouldn't be the wilds if it didn't raise a whole bunch of new mysteries. So don't forget to check out the latest episode of The Takeaway on the Prime Video YouTube channel. Cheating. I have a fiance waiting for me at a hotel who's going to be crushed when he so finds out So you make love to me, and then you go back to your husband? While this seems like an obvious turnoff, many on-screen romantic relationships actually begin with cheating. Emily and Paris's sexy neighbor Gabriel pursues a relationship with her even though he's already dating her friend Cammie. Grey's Anatomy's Derek Shepard starts a relationship with Meredith while he's still married and without telling her this pretty important detail. I'm Anderson Shepard. Shepard? And you must be the woman who's been screwing my husband. This type of cheating is romanticized because protagonists like Meredith and Emily are portrayed as the one, and the guy is cheating in the pursuit of true love. But in real life, any guy or girl who starts a relationship by straying from his partner is showing that he's untrustworthy and could easily do the same thing to you. Not taking no for an answer is often portrayed on screen as persistence, a result of all-consuming love rather than harassment. Ryan Gosling's character Noah in The Notebook threatens to commit suicide to convince Allie to go out with him. Will you? Will you not go out with me? God damn, my head's slipping. Okay, okay, fine. I'll go out with you. About times, Tim uses his time-traveling abilities to redo every interaction he has with his love interest, Mary, in order to become her dream man, never revealing to her that he's basically tricked her into a relationship. Fifty First Dates uses a similar premise to show Henry taking advantage of Lucy's memory impairment. And it's not always persistence on behalf of the men in heterosexual relationships. Carrie in Sex in the City is obsessed with Big, even though he proves time and time again throughout the series that he's a bad choice. How many more times are you gonna go through this? 
He is bad for you. But the show promotes the idea that she can fundamentally change him just because she likes him enough. Presenting this persistence as true love can suggest that a person is entitled to a romantic relationship with the person of their choosing, and as many do-overs as they need, as long as they refuse to give up. And when you love someone, you just, you, you don't stop, ever. Even when people roll their eyes or call you crazy, even then, especially then. Often, persistent people in romantic narratives refuse to take no for an answer because they've idealized the person in their head. I can't even send back soup. Well, that's that's because you're such a sweet, gentle... Uh... When Ted meets Robin in How I Met Your Mother, he immediately declares how much he loves her. Understandably, because he barely knows her, this freaks Robin out. Idealizing a person so much early on in a relationship, despite being portrayed as flattering and romantic, is usually actually a sign that the person is infatuated with an idea of who they are rather than the person themselves. The half of it explores this problem more critically. When Paul elicits Ellie's help to woo Aster, despite not really knowing anything about her or sharing her interests, what do you like? about Aster. She's pretty. This just leads to Ellie forming a connection with the real Aster, while Paul and Ellie also develop a real friendship through the time they spend together. Stalking. Edward from Twilight is famous for romanticizing this trait after he reveals to Bella that he breaks into her room every night to watch her sleep. How did you get in here? The window. Do you do that a lot? Just the past couple of months. I like watching you sleep. In the movie, it's framed as proof of how much Edward loves her and that he just can't stay away from her. Christian Grey from Fifty Shades of Grey follows Anna to another state after she goes to visit her mother. It's Christian. He's here. Um in Georgia. While this kind of attention is presented as flattering, in reality, it's way over the line and potentially dangerous. Possessiveness. The days of you controlling my life are over. We'll see about that. In The Kissing Booth 2, Elle doesn't immediately reply to Noah's texts, so he phones her school pretending to be her dad. Christian constantly tells Anna she belongs to him and gets jealous when she interacts with other guys. He even tries to regulate whether or not she drinks. You shouldn't get drunk like that. I'm all for testing the limits, but you put yourself at risk last night. And in After, Hardin gets so jealous after another guy tries to kiss Tessa in a game that he starts a physical fight and drunkenly destroys his own house. This kind of behavior reveals a lot of anger and a tendency to treat women like possessions. But on screen, it's often seen as aspirational because it's proof of how deeply the guy cares. Secrecy. When a partner isn't disclosing their full self or is making you lie to your nearest and dearest, this is a sign that something is off. Christian has Anna sign a non-disclosure agreement, preventing her from telling her friends or family about their relationship. It's a non-disclosure agreement. It means that you cannot discuss anything about us with anyone. Sierra Burgess is a loser romanticizes catfishing through having Jamie and Sierra end up together, which justifies this behavior, because Jamie may not have given Sierra a chance without first believing she was someone more conventionally pretty. No, I mean, I get, I get why you did it, I do. And honestly, had we not met the way that we had, Maybe I wouldn't have noticed you. Even Nick Young from Crazy Rich Asians, who seems like a great guy in general, totally hides his family's extraordinary wealth from his long-term girlfriend. So your family is, like, rich? We're comfortable. Which, if you think about it, is not very healthy and leaves her completely unprepared to meet them. Age differences. While supernatural age differences are often explained away by the fact that everyone looks young. How long have you been 17? 
a while. Romanticizing massive age gaps in romantic relationships, especially when one participant is a teenager, can make it feel like dating a much older partner is normal. In particular, student-teacher relationships are idealized. From Ezra and Arya in Pretty Little Liars, to Max and Rafa on The New Gossip Girl, to Archie and Miss Grundy in Riverdale. Do you need me to drive you home? Hollywood focuses on the thrill and romance of this kind of forbidden love, but the reason these relationships have to be kept secret is that they're inappropriate or even illegal. Codependency. Edward would rather not live at all than live without Bella. It's an extreme devotion that's framed as symbolizing the truest kind of love, as if the pair's souls are intertwined. But it's also used to justify toxic and self-destructive behavior. We can't be apart. You can't leave me. Tessa moves in with Hardin after only dating him for a few weeks. These kinds of relationships also often exist in a vacuum. In both After and Twilight, the central couple spend so much time obsessed with each other that they don't have any time for platonic friendships. I like my old friends. Well, you never see them anymore. But one of the most important parts of a healthy relationship is maintaining friendships outside of a romantic partner. Even relationships that are acknowledged to be messed up, like Maddie and Nate or Rue and Jules in Euphoria, still can come across as romantic in a twisted sense because they can't exist without each other. Drama while it's true that every relationship will have its ups and downs, films and TV shows utilize constant relationship tumult to provide high-stakes entertainment. Edward and Bella dramatically break up in New Moon, only for Bella to save Edward from suicide at the end of the film. He's going to the Volturi. He wants to die too. High-octane drama makes for great entertainment, but having so much emotional volatility in a romantic relationship is actually a huge red flag. Bridgerton's first and second seasons are all about the thrill of watching two couples who think they hate each other realize the intensity of their true feelings, despite coming close to marrying others. You're the bane of my existence and the object of all my desires. So why have these dating red flags persisted in modern media despite societal progress toward gender equality, mental health awareness, and personal wellness? When we watch films or TV, we're searching, above all else, for entertainment. Look at us, we're already fighting. Well, that's what we do. We fight. Relationships that include these dating red flags are much more dramatic than stable partnerships, which may seem more boring precisely because they're healthy. I don't want normal and easy and simple. Love is not supposed to be painful or devastating. The lack of stability in these relationships is addictive for audiences because we're always waiting to see what will happen next. But in real life, couples who are always breaking up and making up usually have fundamental problems, and that's not a good foundation to build a lasting relationship upon. You're abusive, psychopathic. Most of the time, I really hate the way you make me feel. The problem is that if we watch too many of these romantic narratives, it might prime us to overlook or misinterpret red flags when we encounter them in real life. As Beck Oaks points out for Vogue, we've become so used to seeing unhealthy relationships on screen that we consider them normal, even aspirational. You're mine. Understand? We also may be more willing to tolerate or overlook these red flags because films and TV tell us that there's always a happy ending. Despite the numerous red flags that Big shows in the Sex and the City series, he and Carrie still end up together by the show's finale. Carrie, you're the one. And he eventually evolves into the ideal partner. As therapist Sally Baker writes, it gives this message of whatever you have to put up with and however many times you've been let down, frustrated or heartbroken, if you can keep the goal in sight, you'll get your happy ending. 
youth-oriented modern-day love stories from Bella and Edward to Tessa and Hardin to Elle and Noah also almost always end in happily ever after, implying that red flags don't really matter in the pursuit of true love. All of this happened just because of, well, you know. There may be some couples that prove it is worth working through the drama. I know I am imperfect, but I will humble myself before you because I cannot imagine my life without you. Normal people's love story between Marianne and Connell feels like an especially convincing portrayal of how young people often make romantic mistakes and hurt each other despite truly loving and wanting to be together. You weren't really replying to my texts at the time, so. Felt somewhat abandoned, Connell. Yeah, I felt a bit abandoned myself, didn't I? You disappeared. But more often than not, in real life, a relationship that's full of red flags will lead to heartbreak, not domestic bliss. Though we love the drama that dating red flags give our films and television shows, is there anything we can do to keep from glamorizing and romanticizing ultimately toxic behavior? In recent years, there have been better examples of relationships that still experience conflict but resolve it in a healthy way and provide a model of how satisfying a romance based on trust and mutual respect can be. Randall and Beth in This Is Us show us an example of a healthy marriage where communication is a priority. Though they don't always agree, they're always honest with each other and willing to compromise. Bridgerton season two has the same emphasis. While it takes Kate and Antony a long time to admit their feelings, especially to themselves, the more emotionally wise people around them urge them repeatedly to be honest about what they really feel. You must be honest with yourself. Because one way or another, these kind of feelings always have a way of coming to the surface. And it's only when they finally brave that vulnerability and communication that they're rescued from their self-imposed suffering. Normal People also follows how Marianne and Connell finally escape their destructive cycle as they learn to more honestly communicate and take better care of themselves. I go. And I'll stay. And we'll be okay. Jake Peralta and Amy Santiago from Brooklyn Nine-Nine start off as rivals, but ultimately find their way into a supportive, communicative relationship which makes both of them better people, without pressuring each other to change their fundamental values. And in the To All the Boys I've Loved Before trilogy, homebody Lara Jean is challenged by Peter to move outside her comfort zone in positive ways, like developing more of a social life and expressing her feelings to him. If you want me to read that, then you need to give that to me. They face internal and external obstacles to drive the plot, but none that send weird messages about the kind of appropriate expectations we should hold a potential partner to. Peter respects Lara Jean's boundaries around sex and makes sure she knows there is zero pressure to take their relationship faster than she's ready to. And in the final movie, the couple even go to college on opposite coasts, but their love remains strong because of the solid foundation they've built. That's true romance. I've wanted the kind of love you see in the movies. But in real life, that's not where the story ends. The Wild Season 2 is here. So in the latest episode of The Takeaway on the Prime Video YouTube channel, we talk about the ending of Season 2 of The Wilds, and we go into all of the answers we're given and also mysteries we're still left with. There are some really interesting characters introduced this season. What was really striking was that these characters were trying to come into their own. I keep asking myself, how would you act in a situation? What choice would you make? Sometimes there's a big gap between the person you think you are or assume you are and the person you actually prove to be when you're facing these tough choices. I was rooting for one character, then all of a sudden I found myself kind of backing away from that. You're a monster! Gretchen in particular, what she's doing is so insidious. She leans into her villainy. She just accepts it. She's like, the show does go on. 
God, that feels good to say. Gretchen is trying to make these generalizations about men and women and inherent goodness or badness of the genders. And it's an interesting question, but it's maybe not what Gretchen expects. So watch The Wild Season 2 and then watch our episode of The Takeaway on Prime Video YouTube channel.